Today on IFS Talks, we have the pleasure of welcoming back Chris Burris. Chris Burris is a senior lead trainer for the Internal Family Systems Institute, where he provides level one, two, and three trainings in the IFS model. He's been an IFS therapist since 1999 and a practicing psychotherapist since 1987. Chris is trained as a marriage and family therapist and uses a mind-body approach to psychotherapy. He's been regularly leading large group training since 2003. In addition to internal family systems trainings, Chris has also facilitated groups on topics such as men's issues, sacred activism, rites of passage, couples, and healthy relationships. Today, we're talking with Chris about his new book, Creating Healing Circles, Using the Internal Family Systems Model in Facilitating Groups. Chris, thank you for this wonderful contribution to the IFS Library, and thank you for being here with us today. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be with you both. So welcome back, Chris, and congratulations on your new book. You say the purpose of the book is to help therapists and practitioners move from working with individuals to working with groups using the IFS model. Dick Schwartz also says in the foreword, the book is such a timely contribution to the IFS movement. So, well done. Chris, why this book and how is the public welcoming it since published? Well, I think it's been well received. Um, I'm quite happy with it. I'm happy with um, the feedback that I've been getting from uh, from folks, and um, I'm hoping that it's a beginning to really help helping folks um, create IFS groups. And it's interesting that we were teaching in a group format, you know, and that uh, this is something we haven't. Uh, had space to really focus on so much as how to use IFS in groups. So it became um, sort of paramount that we try to get this information out there and get, get it into uh, practitioners' hands so that um, they can uh, do more work in group settings. I'm finding this book for myself incredibly timely. And I love at the beginning of the book, how you talk about the value and the importance of groups, especially now. Could you speak a little bit to our audience about why you feel that group work is valuable in this day and age? Well, I think the past five years we've been in a climate, especially in the U.S., around social change and social activism. And that has to be done in community and uh, and we also have to sort of learn how to be in community in order to really work in communities. So social movement needs critical mass, you know, which means that we we need to be able to be together, you know, and um, have really difficult conversations so that we can um, have that type of momentum to create social change. So um, I think we've lost a lot of how to be in community and how to heal together. And the book is really focused on trying to create spaces where we can heal together. Chris, you have a long and diverse experience leading groups. Can you tell us more on your experience with groups and why this interest of yours in groups? 
Yeah, I, you know, I sort of began at 25 miles in my first men's group, uh, found that there wasn't really much of a rites of passage for moving from adolescence to to trying to be an adult male or be an adult in general. And uh, so that was my first group experience with, is, uh, was in men's groups or rites of passage. And I've sort of been in different types of men's groups around rites of passage, um, groups of ceremonies for, you know, for you know, the past, I don't know how long that's been now, 25 years, more than 25 years. Um, so that was really instrumental for me, learning to be an adult, learning to be able to have relationships, be able to have conflict and still stay in relationships with people. Um, even a lot of my own internal healing was done in group settings, uh, in uh, psychomotor work and gestalt work is, is sort of what we had back in the day. And then starting to use IFA teaching IFS and learning IFS in group settings. I found that um, just in my own journey, parts come up in groups that it seems like they almost don't even exist in on an individual field. But all of a sudden, if I'm in an IFS training or in a group, even in different roles, there's that cast of characters. What was that like for you to to experience that within yourself and then begin to, to work with it and, and begin to teach. Yeah. I, I had the same experience too. Like I would, before I was sort of enter a group or inner training, my system would be quite calm and I'd walk in the people walk in and all of a sudden there would be parts there that I, that had been kind of dormant until I got into a social setting. I think that when we started teaching IFS, we Dick tried lots of different formats you know, he had tried individual formats, he tried individual supervision, small group supervision, but we found that that sort of large group community format created a really rich environment to kind of, you know, stoke the coals of, you know, parts that may be dormant that really needed attention, you know, so there's something in that. And I think that a couple of things, I think one is trauma happens in relationships, you know, so it, it so when we, get when we enter into relationships all of that trauma gets kind of stoked up you know around being public humiliated or embarrassed or rejected or belonging or seen or not seen you know so there's a rich environment for stoking those dormant um areas that need healing and need attention so a lot gets stirred up but also has a lot of potential to heal and to be be cared for and be seen in ways that we weren't seen before. And so it's a rich environment for both the, the stoking of the un, you know, the unhealed um, material, but also for the potential for healing it as well. Yeah, I think you talk about in the book, like, you know, when you're in an individual therapy setting, you can process things that have happened, but in a group, it's actually this real-time um process where you can get activated and then work through the reactivity and activation in community. Yeah, I think that I think it's one of the reasons probably why people don't run groups, you know, and I always found it to be challenging to kind of encourage my clients to actually be in a group because an individual work, an individual work has a really great space for a lot of healing exiles, but and we have a lot of control about what we can talk about, what we don't talk about. In group work, often we don't have so much control. 
you know, what comes up is, you know, is a bit of a surprise for us. So for as a facilitator, that can be challenging as a participant that can be challenging, you know, but the potential for, for growth is also a lot higher um, because it's so those spaces that, you know, that we don't have so much control over, um, you know, gets brought up and brought to our attention. So it's a, it's a challenge, I think, for the facilitator, but also for participants as well. Chris, your book presents two sections. The first offers ways to structure and organize IFS groups' experiences, and the second section suggests facilitator skills and exercises for the IFS group's work. It looks as an amazing resource for concepts, ideas, protocols, examples, and applications of the IFS model in a group format. So many skills needed to organize and lead groups, right? So organizing and leading groups looks as a huge enterprise needing training and support, right? Yeah, I think that I did a survey in one of my level ones around how much, how many group actual uh, training people had in their graduate work. And maybe most people maybe had one class in graduate work, maybe maybe two classes at most. So there's not a lot of training. I think the mental health field has really slanted towards the individual and really encourages the individual works. And we, you know, I was teaching individual psychotherapy for, you know, for 20 years or so. So there's so much training working with individuals that facilitators maybe don't have a lot of group training, uh, you know, a training in groups. So it can be quite daunting to think about how do we, how do I work not only with one individual, but like, you know, six to nine individuals all at one time. So it's, so it, I found that there needed to be some training around what are facilitator skills, what is the self of the therapist, how is that different in a group setting versus an individual setting. So there needed to be some resources there to really support folks as they maybe think about, you know, kind of having a, a group practice or at least running one group or two groups in their practice. So needed some skills based to, to, to support that. Yeah, I was thinking the last the last group uh, book that I had encountered was, you know, in graduate school, the Yalom's Theory and Practice of Group Psychotherapy, which everyone might have on their shelf. But your book is so direct and concise. Um, it's it's got a great overview, and then like the the skills and the exercises are incredible. One of the things you talk about, you know, sort of after going over uh, guidelines for safety and group forming is the um, the value of experiential groups versus process groups. And I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. I think that all groups are valuable. I think, you know, that the process groups can be very valuable. The psychoeducation groups can be valuable. It, it's really a, um, directing the, the group process to the population that you're serving. And that's one of the things we talk about is, so what's your purpose of the group? What's the population? What's your sort of a, you know imagined outcome? You know, so what I'm encouraging a little bit more is to really experientially work with, with, with parts. So the challenge that I think is I was writing that is and when people think about group, sometimes they think about it as sort of sitting and processing together about their system 
versus working directly, you know, experientially with it. So I wanted to have something that supported more of the experientially working with the the internals, you know, our internal parts, you know, and um, smaller amounts of sort of talking about our system, you know. So I wanted to encourage sort of being with our systems experientially and how facilitators can encourage that, support that, and do that safely. And also, Chris, when do we know individual work should take place and be preferable than group work or before group work? Well, you know, being a, and most of my work has been individual as a trauma therapist. I think there's deep, deep work that happens individually. Um, a lot of trauma healing um, happens individually, and it's a really great setting for that. Um, I think when we start to move in more towards relationships, And, and how are we in relationships? I think that's a place where clients can begin to benefit from couples therapy, from group therapy, from family therapy. I'm trained as a family therapist, which is working with the whole family together, which is another form of kind of group therapy in some ways. Um, you know, but relationships where we're actually practicing being connected and being in conflict at the same time, you know, or practicing, you know, being with our parts and having other people in relationship to us as we are with our parts. I think those are places where we build strength and build resources relationally. And I think that's where group therapy, couples therapy and family therapy. I think that's, those are with more people in the room is where we're building those resources and those skills. Right. So what is it that happens in that experiential space where you're with your own system, but then there's there's people around um, supporting, witnessing, bringing energy. Well, I think you know attachment attachment occurs, attachment injuries, and a lot of trauma could be related to attachment injuries. You know, and and that occurs when we feel when we don't feel seen, heard, and valued. You know, so having a group setting where we feel seen, heard, and valued. And we're also providing that internally to our own parts adds an extra rich layer for uh, um, for healing to occur. Um, so I think that that's one of the things that you not only are you your parts feeling seen and heard and valued by you, but you're also experiencing that with other people as they're they're also seeing and hearing, um, you know, your your internal system and 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 there in, in a supportive, caring way. So I think it adds, adds an extra layer of which the healing can occur in a deeper way. So it's that sense and feeling of belonging within the group, but also being able to belong with parts that are uncomfortable, parts that hold pain, parts that express feelings that might not have been okay. Yeah, I think what I found is when I... When I did individual therapy, a lot of times that connection with the self, the part was really strong and people felt better with themselves. But I, I started to survey when I would say to people, so finish this statement, people are blank. And guess what most people said? People are dangerous. People are, are uh, untrustworthy. People are chaotic. People are rejecting, you know, so I wasn't really seeing that 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 was changing, that the people are supportive, people are resources, people are playmates, you know, people are community, people are family, you know. So I was so I 
I wasn't seeing that shift. I was seeing shifts that happen, you know, with how I relate to my own system, but how I relate to other people weren't quite shifting, you know? And so I think that's when I, when we moved to group work and people have experiences in the group work that shifts, people are resources, people are support systems, people are there for me, people are a family, you know, so that, so that community building aspect of it, you know, was the piece that I think that coming out of the, coming out of the trainings that was shifting, you know, when people complete their level one, the people in their level one, a lot of times now felt like more like family, felt like resources, felt like, you know, um, part of their community. Because of the experiential nature of the trainings. Yeah. 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 So I wanted to have that same effect happening clinically in my office that I was seeing happening in the trainings. Mm. Chris, in your book, you highlight the power of doing IFS in a group format and the tremendous human potential that can be actualized by using both an internal model like IFS and the social dynamic process. So you acknowledge the healing potential of internal work and the power of community, universal multiplicity of the mind and safe social environments to reveal and heal our internal wounding. So what is the power or advantage of utilizing IFS in a group format? IFS is a really beautiful model for groups. Um, you know, the, you know, I remember just sort of finding out that my parts were similar to other people's parts, you know, it took such a huge pressure off of me that I wasn't so different. You know, and I think that's when people, when people do their level ones, they discover that, wow, we all have managerial parts. We all have parts that tend to be reactive, you know? And so that, so being able to be in a setting where what has been, what we may feel shameful is more universal, you know, really sort of builds us, able allows us to kind of return back into community. Shame isolates us and uh, separates us from other people, you know, so that universality I think it's a huge antidote to shame in that I'm not so different. I have similar kinds of parts that other people have, and I have similar burdens or uh, wounding that other people have. So that universality returns people back into the a sense of being in community. Are there um, exiles in particular that that benefit from groups that you've noticed? Is it more like uh, attachment wounded exiles or more adolescent exiles that are wounded in a social setting? Um, you know, I think that when we, cause I spent a bit of time in the beginning, but talking about sort of purpose and structure, you know, and sometimes we may, they may organize a little bit around similar experiences I've been reading around grief work, you know, and grief groups, you know, and, and, and how then the power of those types of group experiences, you know, so, you know, so I think that they, they cluster a little bit around themes, you know, so we may have, so in the relationship groups, a lot of those relationships people have had, 
you know, disappointing relationships or harm that's been caused or family relationships or broken, um, you know, trauma that's happened, you know, um, relationally, you know, so those are kind of a clustering of parts that may, may show up in that, those types of um, purposed, you know, groups. Chris, quoting you again, in your book, you list some benefits of using IFS in a group therapy setting. You speak of um, groups offering the feeling of community, the felt experience of self-energy, real-time experiences between identification of parts and the individual behavior, an opportunity for individuals to see their parts as universal, natural, universally natural, And you also say self-led accountability can be fostered in IFS groups. Can you say more about this self-led accountability? For me, I found um, if there's something I was working on and I kind of showed up in group and I hadn't really paid much attention to it, you know, that past week, you know, it was per pretty apparent, <laughs> you know, that I, had, I hadn't really been paying attention to my system. You know, so there's sort of a natural motive, motivation. There's a natural universality, you know, when people are paying attention to their parts or tracking their parts and you're going to group, it, the group environment really supports that, that natural process, you know. And when you're going to go in somewhere and say, you know, you know, this week I really lost touch of myself, you know, and I didn't focus on, you know, kind of what I'm working on or what my attention is you're saying that to nine other people. Um, so that has a, a, a much larger impact around accountability than our individual therapist who, you know, is pretty unconditionally accepting, you know, so it, 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 it just kind of increases the ante a little bit higher. And for me, it, in, you know, going in and someone is doing a really big piece of work really, really encourages me to, to stay in touch with my own system. Reading this book, I've I've really appreciated your expertise in group work, and um, you say at the the beginning of the second half, you can't lead someone where you haven't been before, and there's a lot of emphasis on being aware of your own system as a facilitator being aware of your blind spots and being aware of yourself like parts. Um, this book really provides a map to become more of a self-led parts tracker. But could you give us some, some tips? Because I, I think reading, just reading that book, I'm like, oh, wow, there, there are so many things that you know and share that I would have a hard time looking out for um, those blind spots are really relevant. Yeah, I think um, it, it also, you know, it really supports having a good co-therapist with you, you know, that you really feel connected with and that can gently sort of help you with those. Um, I had a really great co-therapist for a long time. Uh, Kevin Davis and I read, led groups together and the relationship really helped supported that, you know, because, hey, you know, I've got this part coming up. Did you see it in group? You know, did it, did, was it apparent, you know, and, and the feedback might be, uh, you know, your, your tone, your, your, your tenure, your expression changed a little bit, you know, and, you know, what does that part of you need? What's happening there? So having a good co-therapist that can help reflect that 
those places to you gently and help you work through those are really great learning environments. That as a trainer, we have our assistant trainers, you know, and uh, we do a lot of that together with our assistant trainers around getting feedback and, you know, and, and watching for those, those blind spots and, you know, talking about that together. So, um, you know, having someone that you trust that can reflect those back to you accurately and tell you the truth about it is really supportive. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago from Susan McConnell that, you know, to keep a journal as a facilitator, as a therapist, keep a, keep a journal of your, your, your parts that come up in your therapy process, you know, and, and work with those. Um, so being able to journal and sort of tracking those parts of you to come up and, and work with them so that you know when they're not so, so prominent anymore. IFS trainings take place mostly in group settings and the Institute is now making an amazing effort to increase diversity in the trainings and to improve our intercultural competence and awareness. This is both a much needed step and it can also present various challenges. Can you speak to some of the challenges this will present for participants, for trainers and even for the model itself? and any insights into how to navigate these big challenges? Well, I think that you know, I've been teaching uh, for Black, Black Therapist Rock for about five years now, and, um, and I've learned so much teaching you know, with um, that organization. Um, I, I think that it's important for us to really take a look at how culturally, how our cultural experience creates biases um, and it creates um, these blind spots where we we kind of don't know what we don't know, and also how we respond to when that's reflected back to us. Um, it's kind of natural for us to have parts that respond with defensiveness, um, you know, or um, or escape or withdraw, you know. So being able to track those parts and be able to know, you know, how we respond to feedback, um, how we respond. To being open and inviting for those blind for those blind spots or those those hidden biases to be sort of brought to our attention, how we encourage that, um, and and also how community, how we help each other with those um, with those learning challenges, you know, so that we build connection um, versus building more polarizing or divisiveness. Um, so uh, I think it's a really wonderful growth growing time for an institute to, to be sort of looking at those dynamics and looking at how culturally uh, we may be um, uh, highly slanted, you know, in, in one culture and not open to other cultures as much as we would like to be. Chris, you say core competencies in IFS model are not the same as essential group leader skill. So self-leadership, you say, is not enough for group leadership. Can you say more on these? I think that when we think about self-leadership, a lot of times I think what we think about is just being open, present with no agenda. And, um, and that's more of sort of the, 
the softer skills of self-leadership. Um, self-leadership can also be um, um, intentional, courageous, you know, can be clear, can be confident, you know, so there's also an active engagement in self-leadership. And I think the level one trainings, we focus a lot on really letting go of an agendas and being present and holding space, which is a definitely a core skill, you know, but also how do you, in a self-led way, ask people to, to take a pause, to slow down, to regulate, you know, maybe asking them to, supporting them to unblend, you know, so how do we, how, how are we actively engaged, you know, in uh, a leadership process, you know, and so those are skills, I think Tony does a great job teaching in the IFIO, where you have to be more active with couples, you know, and, um, you know, so in group settings, sometimes you have to be more active as well. And um, in holding that space and building that container and keeping it safe. So those are the skills that I try to focus on uh, more as the more active skills. I think we do a great job of holding space, teaching holding space and being present, you know, and compassionately present in, in the individual process, which is a level one training. Uh, but there's another set of skills in group, I think, that that the more active skills that folks need to, to be able to to get to know better and how to be self-led in your active skill, in your active presence. Does a lot of that come from how you set up the group and creating guidelines? I know one of the things you emphasize is um, contracting to interrupt the group. And um, are you able to, um, you know, access those more courageous active skills without having the the contract be entirely set up at the beginning um and it just it's making me think of all the growth edges with becoming a, a skilled leader i i think um, people do well when they're informed ahead of time you know so the, when i talk about the purpose of the group how we begin to norm create no group norms what is the expectation you know, for presence, for being able to participation, you know, having when people are informed about kind of what what they're asking, to, what they're being asked to do as being a, a member of a group. Um, and then when we kind of hold those expectations to them, it's not such a shock, you know. So if I tell you, you know, that, hey, I may be, I may ask you to pause at certain times, you know, during the process. The reason for that is to maybe help unblend or slow down or to help a regulation of the group. If you know the purpose of that, then that intervention isn't overwhelming or shocking or shaming to your system. So we want sort of slow turns um, in people to be as well informed as possible when they're coming into groups. I think the places where I've been sort of injured in group settings and I've, I've had good experiences, I've had not so good experiences. It's when I got shocked, you know, and didn't uh, something I didn't know, and I was, um, you know, interact interacted with too abruptly, you know, and that's where my my parts didn't respond very well. So, so how we set up that container and how we ease into those 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 changes, those turns, you know, those those requests helps people's system feel safer and helps maintain that relationship with a facilitator.
Chris, you recently started offering some training on this topic. Can you say more about those workshops on using IFS with groups? Yeah, I started looking at how do we sort of train this, um, you know, and um, and the online format doesn't really lend itself really well to it, it. There are places where group work can happen online, um, but it doesn't lend itself really greatly to training of, um, of group facilitation. We got to sort of have physical bodies in the space together, you know, to be able to kind of really get the full effect of it. So I started running a few workshops. I ran um, two workshops already on group facilitator skills. The one experiential component to group work that we've lost when we went online is sculpting. Um, there are a few trainers that can do sculpting online, but we lose a lot of the depth and um, dimensionality of sculpting. So the trainings that I've been running has been uh, largely trying to teach that skill of sculpting that I think is, um, has been kind of lost in the level one trainings. Um, so it focuses a lot on sculpting and the facilitation, you know, of, of sculpting in a group. And it's a, it's a form of sort of psychodrama um, where we actually externalize our parts. Um, and the healing potential of it is is really tremendous. The dimensionality of it is um, is really quite something. Um, in, in my own experience, but also from the, the group experience so far. So interesting. So, Chris, thanks again for this amazing time together and for your book, such a valuable tool. We have learned so much today and we trust many will learn from this conversation and your book. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha, and it's my hope that we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.